Good morning, Trailer Church. How are we doing this morning? If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Joe, Joe Grapple, and I am the newest uh, church planting resident here at Trailhead. And my family and I, we've been attending here about three, three and a half months. And uh, I just want to tell you right up, right up front, thank you for welcoming me and my family. You guys have been um, very welcoming to us. You've served us. You've uh, encouraged us. You've we really feel like there's a depth to the relationships that we have with you, even though we've been here three, three and a half months, and I just want to say thank you for that. So um, excited to be opening God's Word with you this morning. I want to start off um, with a little bit about our story. Um, so the last eight years or so, I was an associate pastor at a church in the area, um, and in these last probably three, three and a half years, God started working in my heart. He started working in my wife's heart and, and kind of stirring in us and um, burdening us burdening us, and giving us an excitement for church planting, specifically church planting in Alton. And uh, we, we just came to love the city, came to love the people of the city. We really wanted to serve its people and reach its people. And all this is going on while I'm a, I'm a youth and music pastor at another church. And over those, over those three years, there was this, this anxiousness that, that developed in, in me and my wife. And um, it was a good anxiousness at times, maybe a not-so-good anxiousness at times. And uh, we, we really were just wrestling with God's timing. God, when do you want us to, to pursue this? Um, we really struggled with discerning when God wanted us to leave this ministry we've, we'd invested in and uh, pursue ministry in Alton. And then in the midst of all that, 14 months ago or so, um, God stepped into our lives in a very profound, life-changing way. Um, we had a fire in our home, May 2nd of last year. Uh, life-changing event. Uh, middle of the night, one night, the box fan in our baby girl's room caught on fire. And uh, I wasn't there. I was at an all-night youth event in the area. And I praise God for how he spared my wife. He spared my kids. They got out of the house safely. Uh, long story short, he, he woke up Becky, my wife, via uh, the smoke detector and, and the baby crying. They all got out safely. Um, the fire stayed mainly contained in uh, that room and then in a bathroom next to it. But if you've ever experienced anything with fires, the soot, the smoke, it, it, it filled the house and it, it ruined everything we had. Everything we had was gone. We lost all of our possessions. So this last 14 months or so has been tough. It's been overwhelming, to say the least. Um, now, we didn't lose anybody. So, you know, it could have been a thousand times worse if, if someone had died. But to, to literally lose all your possessions, that is a, that is a tough thing. Um, to, to drive by what used to be your house and see sitting in the driveway for weeks, maybe even months, a, a mammoth dumpster filled with what used to be your stuff. That is crushing. That is devastating. Now, chances are you probably don't have a story like that. Maybe, maybe you do. If you do, introduce yourself to me because I love to meet people that have gone through fires. That's kind of a weird thing, but there's not many of us out there. Um, you probably don't have a story like that, but... I bet you have a story of some tragedy, some trial, some suffering, some loss that God has brought you through. And the question I want to ask is, how have you seen God 
use that loss and bring it about for blessing? How has he brought blessing about through that loss? He has, hasn't he? I mean, that's the way he works. That's what he does. That's how he operates. And today we're going to be talking about mission. And, and that's exactly the way he operates in mission too. Um, just a real quick, when I say mission, I want you to understand what I mean. Don't want to take it for granted. It, we, we should understand that, that God has sovereignly and uniquely placed us where we're at to engage people with the gospel. That's where we live, the neighborhood we live in, the neighbors we have, where we work, the coworkers we have, on and on I could go. It didn't just randomly happen that you work where you work, that you have the coworkers that you have, that you have the neighbors that you have. He sovereignly placed you there to, to be on mission, to engage people with the gospel. So living on mission is living with an awareness of that. So where I want to camp out this morning is, is of course, to, to push you toward mission, yes, but to specifically talk about this morning that, that mission at times is going to require some loss, that, that God in having us on mission is going to bring about some loss, some sacrifice, some hardship as a part of that. But gloriously true, the blessings of the mission are always going to outweigh the cost of the mission. I'm going to say that again. The blessings of the mission are always going to outweigh the cost of the mission, which is awesome. All right, so let me show you this. Let's get into our text. Um, we're going to be this, this morning in the book of John, which is the fourth book of the, of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to be in John chapter 20, verse 21. Just one verse, though I'm going to read um, the whole paragraph, John 20, 19 to 23. And uh, it's on page 906 in your pew Bibles. If you're here this morning and you don't own a Bible, there's, there's a hardcover black Bible somewhere near you. Please take that home. If you don't own a Bible, we want you to have a copy of God's Word. Let me read John 20, 19 to 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld the word of the Lord. John 20, verse 21. That's, that's going to be our text this morning. It's a packed verse, I think. It's a packed verse for understanding our mission. So I kind of want to unpack it for you this morning. And here's how we're going to attack that, okay? What Jesus says in verse 21, uh, it's three different phrases. So boom, right there, three points. No poem this morning, just three points. Um, first, peace be with you. Secondly, as the Father has sent me, Third, even so I am sending you. That's where we're going this morning, all right? First, peace be with you. Now, I think there's an element here uh, of Jesus when he says this, when he says, peace be with you. He, he's saying this so that the disciples don't freak out, right? I mean, he was just dead, and now he's alive, and he's there with them, and John points out to us, in a locked room, right? So I find that introduction helpful. I mean, if someone's going to show up in a locked room and they were just dead two days ago, saying, hey, don't freak out, I'm not a ghost, that's a helpful introduction, okay? Peace be to you. 
But I think it's a lot more than that. It's not just don't freak out. So let's look at the context a little bit. And I think we're going to see just the weight of this moment. This is a powerful moment. If we were to go back into John chapter 19, we'd read there about the death of Jesus. He was crucified. It was a death by crucifixion, nailed to a Roman cross. Um, His legs were broken, or his his legs were not broken because they didn't need to be. The soldiers saw that he was dead. They they pierced his side with a spear. Um, His body is laid in a tomb. I mean, all the details are saying Jesus is dead. And then you move into chapter 20. And chapter 20 opens with this awesome scene. I mean, it's like a a beautiful, well-written movie. Uh, it, it, It starts with the disciples coming to the tomb of Jesus, expecting, of course, his dead body to be there, and it's not there. The tomb is empty. It's, it's gloriously empty. You fast forward a little bit to our paragraph, 19 to 23, 20, 19 to 23, and, and this is evening of that same day. This is evening of Resurrection Sunday. Okay, The disciples, they're together, again, in a locked room, and Jesus comes and he appears to them in a locked room, and he says... Peace be to you. Don't freak out. I'm not a ghost. Peace be to you. It's not just don't freak out, though. It's more than that. Put yourself in the disciples' shoes. Think about the journey that they've been on in the, in the last two, three days leading up to this. They had seen Jesus tried, beaten, crucified. And what did they do? They stayed by his side, right? No, they, they ran away in fear. They didn't want that, this to happen to them. And what was the last thing they heard Jesus say? According to John, the last thing they heard Jesus say before this moment, three words, it is finished. In other words, he had come come and accomplished what the Father had sent him to do. The, The work was over. The mission was accomplished. The wrath of God for sinners had been satisfied. The, um, the, the price for our sins had been paid in full. He died as a substitute in the place of sinners so that sinners could then have a right standing with God through faith in Jesus, through repentance and faith in him. He, he died because he died. Sinners can have peace, peace with God. That's amazing, okay? Because the Bible tells us that apart from Jesus, our relationship to God is, is not a, a, a neutrality and not a point of neutrality, just kind of in the middle, zero, The Bible tells us that apart from Jesus, we are enemies, enemies of God, enemies. But the death of Jesus brings peace. His his death brings peace, reconciliation, so that we who were once enemies are brought to the table, welcomed to the table as friends. We're not just brought back to a point of neutrality. We're welcomed as friends. We're welcomed as children through the death of Jesus. And so this Jesus. These events having happened in the last 48, 72 hours, he he stands before his disciples having one peace between God and man, and he says to them, peace be to you. Now, you get the weight of that, all right? Peace be with you means so much more than just don't freak out. It means peace with God has been accomplished. This Jesus who who conquered death, he's the risen king. He's the one who has all power and authority in heaven and on earth. He's the only one that can bring peace. He stands before them. He says, peace be with you. And then he says to them what? 
in verse 21. As the Father has sent me. As the Father has sent me. Okay, so there, there's some weight there in that, in that phrase, the word as, right? Jesus doesn't just say, the Father has sent me. He says, as the Father has sent me. So he's wanting to draw our attention to not just the fact that the Father had sent him, but the manner in which the Father had sent him, how the Father had sent him. Okay, so how had the Father sent him? Well, to answer that, we're going we're gonna to take a word and wrestle with it a little bit here this morning. Kind of a big word, four syllables, incarnation. That's the manner in which, Je- in Je- which Jesus was sent by the Father. He was sent in an incarnational way, the incarnation. The, the word incarnation literally means in the flesh. You hear in that word carn, carne, carnivore, meat, flesh. Okay, you can hear it there. Jesus was sent in the flesh. Now, a couple things that that means. First of all, it means that he came to us. He came to us. We didn't come to him. He, he, didn't, he didn't wait for us to, to, to make our way to him, to, to find our way to him. He didn't keep himself distant. We could never find our way to him, right? He came to us. He came into our space. He invaded our world. He moved into our neighborhood. But incarnational means also Not that just he came to us, but also that he became like us. He became flesh, just like we're flesh. He became one of us to save us. The the glorious theological truth, the the incarnation that that Jesus is fully God and fully man in one person. We, we We can't understand that. We can't wrap our minds around that, but it's true. It's gloriously true. The Bible tells us that Jesus was fully man. He was tempted in every way that we are. He was tempted. Um, he experienced everything that we experience. He, he experienced everything that it means to be human. He experienced hunger. He experienced thirst. He experienced sorrow, pain, being overwhelmed, weariness, temptation. He experienced all of that. He entered into all of that for us and with us. Now, here's what I want us to think about, okay? Here's what I want us to dwell on. In, in coming to us and in, in being sent to us, incarnating himself among us, becoming flesh like us, think about the great cost that Jesus experienced and, and bore to make this happen. Think about the depths of his sacrifice to come to us, the depth of his humility. This is God becoming a man the depth of his humility, the depth of his love. Where we were prideful toward God, making ourselves our own God, Jesus demonstrated infinite humility. Where we were rebellious and hateful toward God, Jesus pursued us with a relentless love and a relentless kindness. There's another place in the Bible that really fleshes out this incredible display of Jesus' humility. It's his incarnate and his incarnation. Let me read it for you. It's Philippians chapter two. It'll be on the screen. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't, he didn't hold on tightly to the, to the position of God and the comforts of God. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself, not just by becoming a man, but by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
So all I want us to do here right now is just step back and be in awe of that. Can, can we do that? Just be in awe of the humility that Jesus has, has demonstrated in coming to us and making himself one of us and taking on flesh. Can, can we be filled with wonder and gratitude for that? We had no hope of ever coming to him. So Jesus came to us. He humbled himself. God humbled himself, took on humanity, took on flesh, became one of us. And that's what it means when it says, as the Father has sent me. This is the way that the Father has sent the Son in this incarnational way. And then he says in verse 21, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. All right, now I want you to notice the flow of this. This is very important. Jesus is being sent flows into our being sent. Do you see that? His mission flows into our mission. His being sent on mission is the foundation of our being sent on mission. That really matters. Because the mission, the mission that is central, the mission that is ultimate, is not our mission. It's Jesus' mission. His mission to come in the flesh and die and rise again. That mission is the one central mission, and that mission has been accomplished. That mission is not... uh, uncertain if it's going to happen. It has happened. It's been accomplished. So we can rest in that. We can rest in that, especially, especially when we fail to be on mission. And do we fail to be on mission? Yeah, I think we do. We fail to be on mission. We, we fear man. But, but Jesus's mission is not up for debate. It's, it's happened. It's been accomplished. And we can rest in what he has accomplished and as we are sent on mission, we, we should be, and we can be, and we should be fueled by and driven by the fact that his mission has been accomplished. All right? So, so with the last point we just established, this, this way, this manner in which the Father has sent the Son is, this, is the fact that Jesus has been sent in this incarnational way. He has become flesh. Now Jesus turns to his disciples, and he turns, he turns to us turns to us and he says, now I'm sending you in that same way. I'm sending you in that same way. I'm sending you to live incarnationally. All right? So, so to be clear, that is the way that his, his mission and his sending is parallel with ours. Okay? The, the parallel, we could, we could make a number of things the parallel here that would be incorrect. The parallel is not that, uh, for example, Jesus was... Uh, in, in being sent on mission, he came to earth and he, and he did miracles. He healed people. He, he met the needs of the poor. He cast out demons. Um, it would be incorrect for us to say that our mission is parallel to his in that way. Um, now, uh, to be clear, um, Jesus did, of course, uh, meet the needs of the poor. He met temporal, physical needs, but it was always a means to an end, right? It was always to show who he really was. It was really to prove that he was God. And, and to be clear, we should be about meeting temporal physical needs, right? We should be about alleviating suffering. But that's not the parallel here. That's not the parallel. Nor is the parallel, yeah, really going to blow your minds here, okay? The parallel is not that just like Jesus, we are sent into the world to be saviors of the world, okay? 
That's not going to happen, all right? We, we cannot die a, a substitutionary death for uh, the sins of mankind. We cannot stand in the place of sinners and bear the wrath of God and then rise from the dead. We, we can't do that, okay? So that's clearly not the parallel either. The parallel is, in fact, that just as Jesus was sent incarnationally to become like them, that, that way, Jesus sends us in that way too. He, he became flesh. He became like those he was coming to save. We too then should be seeking to become like those whom God has called us to serve and to engage with the gospel. And there are wrong ways to do this, okay? There are wrong ways to do this, right? To become like those that, that were called to engage with the gospel. Whoa, that sounds dangerous, right? There's definitely wrong ways to do this. We, we never compromise our distinctiveness in order to do this. We never compromise holiness to do this. We, we must still be light in the darkness. We've been called out of darkness into light, into the light of God. And so we don't reach the darkness um, by becoming like the darkness. We, don't, we can't be light in the darkness if we're living like darkness. So we don't compromise our distinctiveness. We don't, we don't employ sinful ways in doing this. But in ways that, that do not compromise our distinctiveness, we seek to become like those whom God has called us to serve and to engage with the gospel. We engage our culture. We, we, we become students of the culture. We're, we're constantly asking ourselves the question. We've got this, this constant posture of, okay, how can I become more like fill-in-the-blank so that I can reach fill-in-the-blank with the gospel? That's what it means to live incarnationally. Okay, I want to I go to another passage of Scripture just to delve into this a little bit more. Another passage in the Bible um, I want to look at with you. It's in 1 Corinthians. You don't have to turn there again. It's going to be up on the screen. Um, this is a passage... Uh, written by Paul. Paul was a, a missionary. He uh, was used mightily by God, wrote much of the New Testament. This is Paul kind of laying out for us um, his evangelism philosophy, his mission philosophy, okay? And I think, I think it really helps us kind of flesh out what it means to live incarnationally, All right? 1 Corinthians nine nineteen to 23. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all, my, all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings." Okay, there's a lot to unpack in that passage, and we won't unpack it all, but, but what could kind of sum up that passage is, is what he says there in verse 22, um, I have become all things to all people. Paul's approach in mission was to become all things to all people. So if he's dealing with Jews, if he's in a setting where he's dealing with Jewish people, then Paul was going to become as a Jewish person, which that wasn't hard for Paul. Paul was a Jew. Okay. But notice he also said to those outside the law, that would be Gentiles, everybody that's not a Jew, 
He, Paul says, I would become as a Gentile to reach Gentiles with the gospel, which would have been very strange and awkward for Paul. Paul was a Jew. Jews never sought to act like Gentiles. And Paul says, I'm going to become like the Gentiles in, 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 ways, that don't, in ways that don't compromise the distinctiveness, right? I'm going to become like the Gentiles in order to reach the Gentiles. And, and I'm going to become like the weak, those who are weak in their conscience, to reach the weak. This is incarnational living. This is what it means. This is what it looks like. Let me give you another example. This is more recent, though not really recent. It was still a while ago. Um, Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China in the 1800s. Maybe you've heard of him, maybe you haven't. He started uh, China Inland Mission. Hudson Taylor was born in England. He was born in England in the 1830s. Um, he lived probably about two-thirds of his life in China, though, as a missionary. And what kind of set Hudson Taylor apart is that this, this mission that he founded and he led, so himself and all the people in this mission that served there, what set them apart is that they insisted in reaching the Chinese people, they insisted on dressing like the Chinese people. And, and you may say, okay, well, that's not a big deal. That might actually be kind of fun, right, to dress like the Chinese people. But, but Hudson, uh, Hudson Taylor was, was being very countercultural in doing this. This was, this was not the way that missions was done in, in this time. The way that missions was done in this time is that you would, you would, uh, you would preserve the ways of your own culture in, in reaching this culture, and, and you would even kind of try to bring your cultural aspects into this culture. And Hudson Taylor was not of that mindset. He said, no, no, no way. In order to reach the Chinese people, we've got to show them that, that Jesus is not a savior just for English people. He's a savior for the Chinese too. He's a savior for all kinds of people. Here's the thing that we need to get about living incarnationally. Um, the, the, the thing I want us to get more than anything else this morning. At the very least, living incarnationally is going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be hard. It's going to be stretching. It's going to put you out of your comfort zone. It's going to put me out of my comfort zone. And more than that, I mean, it's going to be that at the very least, but more than that, just as it was true for Jesus, it could require some hardship, some loss, some sacrifice. We cannot live incarnationally and comfortably at the same time. I'm going to say that again. We cannot live incarnationally and comfortably at the same time. We cannot live incarnationally at this comfortable distance. Living incarnationally requires entering in. Entering in, it requires building relationships, real, genuine relationships with people and all the mess that comes with that, right? Because building relationships is messy. If we're going to incarnate well, it's going to be, and it's going to be building relationships with people, not, not just like those, not just with those who are like us, not just with those who are like us, not just with those who are easy to love and easy to serve, ones who are different from us, though, ones who are different from us, different, uh, different backgrounds, different experiences. Um, they have hobbies that we think are weird, and they, and they think our hobbies are weird. Um, maybe people of, of, of a different skin color, people of a vastly different age, 
That's what living incarnationally, that, that's the, the types of relationships we should be pursuing and in living incarnationally. And not just people who are different from us, but even the people that are hard to love and hard to serve. People that, people that are hostile toward us, people that are hostile toward God, people that maybe just annoy us, <laughs> people that, in your opinion, maybe they, they've got everything wrong in the political world. They're just a complete mess politically. Maybe they don't want anything to do with you. God is calling us to enter into those relationships incarnationally as well. Just as Jesus was in his incarnation, he humbled himself, he he sacrificed, he went through great suffering, he humbled himself. That's the same same way that, that God is sending us. So, so here's, my, here's my question for you. I just want to invite you to consider in what ways is God calling you to do this? Where is God calling you to, to enter in incarnational living in your, in your world, in your spheres of influence? Where is God calling you to be like Jesus and that he's calling you to endure some hardship, to endure some loss, to endure some suffering for the sake of mission? Now, I want you to remember all the way back to the beginning of what, I, of what I said at the beginning of this message. We can't lose sight of this. The blessings of the mission always outweigh the cost of the mission. The blessings of the mission always outweigh the cost of the mission. So think about it. Yes, there's going to be some cost. There's going to be some difficulty. There's going to be some hardship in living in this incarnational way. But there are great blessings that God is going to bring about through it. And that's the way it's been with us. It's the way it's been with our fire. The fire has been, um, it, it has been difficult. It, it's probably been the most difficult thing that my wife and I have ever gone through. It continues to be very difficult, but God has, has done some great things through it. God has blessed in some great ways. Let me, let me just give you the rundown of them. So, so in the weeks and, and months um, after our fire, we began to realize that God was kind of clarifying for us that this church planting dream to, to Alton. We, we began to realize, okay, this is, this is God nudging us toward Alton. Uh, we, we realized, okay, well, we got to live somewhere. Let's, let's go to Alton. Let's go. Let's do this. And so God is blessed in that he used the fire, difficult as it was, difficult as it is, to be this catalyst for us to propel us toward mission. And it doesn't stop there. He, he has continued to bless. So for example, through, through some of the funds that we got through our renter's insurance, thank you, State Farm, um, we were able to afford a down payment on a home in Alton. We would not have been able to do this had the fire not happened, but we were able to purchase a home and move into this community that we were burdened for and wanted to reach because God brought this horrible thing into our lives. And it doesn't stop there, okay? So, so moving forward in time, uh, as, as winter time came around and uh, things were starting to fall into place as far as coming here to Trailhead and being the next church planning resident, um, I realized I was going to need a new job. So I ended up getting back in contact with the mortgage company where we had gotten our home loan. Uh, again, re- realizing that I, we would have never bought a home had the fire not happened. Uh, we get in cont- I got in contact with this mortgage company where we got in our home loan, and I've been an employee of Benchmark Mortgage here for the last two months. Again, God is blessing 
through, through this cost, through this suffering, through this hardship. And, and, and what's awesome in, in terms of mission is that I'm loving this job because I am building relationships with tons of people. I mean, I was a pastor for eight years and I just, I craved to get out of the church building and go meet non-Christians. And here I am having this job meeting tons of non-Christians and building relationships with them. I mean, it's, it's nuts how God has set me up, has set us up for mission through this hard thing. I mean, I've been able to tell our story uh, to, I don't know how many people in the last few months. I've been able to have some one-on-one gospel conversations with people because God has placed me on mission in this place through this hardship that he brought us through. And I'm praying that God's going to do some amazing things. I'm confident he is going to do some amazing things. So here, here's, here's what I want to say to you above all here this morning. Time and time again, these last 14 months, um, God has proven this for us. It's, it's been a hard 14 months. There's been loss. There's been difficulty. There's been hardship. But out of that, God is bringing great blessing for us to be on mission, for us to be on mission in the ways that he's calling us to. And that's, that's how he works. That's how he works for you and for us. All right, we're going we're gonna to wrap it up there. I'm gonna, um, we're going to put some questions up on the screen for reflection. And I just want to encourage you to, to reflect, to pray, to, con- to confess, to consider um, where is God calling you into this? Where is he calling you to live incarnationally? Where is he calling you to, to live on mission? All right, let me, let me pray for us, and then we'll move into this time of response, reflection, and communion as well. God, we come to you first, thanking you for the, the mission of Jesus that has been accomplished. We come to you um, thanking you for his incarnation, thanking you, thanking you for his humility demonstrated to us. He didn't wait for us to come to him. We could have never come to him. He came to us. He became one of us. God, we thank you for his incarnation that has brought us peace with you, his mission that has brought us peace with you. We were your enemies apart from him, enemies. And now in him, we are welcomed, we are rejoiced over. We sit at the table with you. God, I pray that the incarnation of Jesus would would captivate our vision, would move us to not only be on mission, but to be on mission in the way that he was on mission. He became one of us. God, help us to engage those around us in incarnational ways. Whatever that looks like, God, we know whatever it looks like, it's going to require getting out of our comfort zone. It's going to require hardship. It's going to require loss and difficulty. And God, move in us, move in our hearts that we'd be willing to embrace that. Just as Jesus embraced the mission, he embraced his his humbling to come to us, to not just be one of us, but to then die our death and rise again. God, move in our hearts. Help us to just consider and, and inwardly 
reflect on how you'd want us to be changed today. God, don't let us be the same when we leave here today. Move in our hearts and change us. Pray this for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.